I am ready to jump in. And as we lean into our Faith, Love, Hope season, I've really been meditating on the 1 Corinthians 13 Scripture, often famously associated with marriages and weddings and maybe some of the married people in the room, you maybe even read this Scripture at your wedding. But there's this key line right at the end of the verse that really jumps out at me. And it, it essentially says this, that when everything ceases, when everything passes away, when, when all the, the different things of this life come to an end, there's three things that will remain. It'll be faith, love and hope. The Bible says the greatest of these being love. That it says no matter what goes on through life, no matter the highs and lows, the, the spirit manifestations it speaks about through this passage, the different gifts that are available to us in this lifetime and the different movings of the Holy Spirit, no matter what takes place, when all of that comes to an end, the three things that will remain true in every season is faith, love and hope. The greatest of these being love. I find this fascinating because it shows me that what Scripture says is everlasting, the world has simply put down to feelings. They put down to faith being something, simply a, a vague trust that we conjure up. They, they, they label hope being simply wishful thinking. They, they talk about love being subjective, depending on the individual, depending on the feeling, depending on the circumstance, and they minimise these ideas that Scripture speaks about are everlasting. They simply try and categorise as, oh man, that's just a feeling, that's subjective to you. And I don't know about you, but I, I read Scripture and what I see is love not being something depending on whatever you want it to be. But love for me, when I see in Scripture, it speaks about that love is something that's fixed. It's something that's grounded. It's something that's unshakable. It's something that won't be moved. It's something that stands strong through the test of time. We look at what Scripture speaks about love. And I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of guy who wouldn't wanna build my life on a love that is like shifting sands, that changes depending on the season, that is erratic and emotional. And I feel like I have to walk on eggshells around it because I never know what reaction I'm gonna get. And I never know what different circumstances is gonna come my way. But I wanna build my life on a biblical love one that does stand the test of time, one that does permeate through my life and transform the world around me, one that the Scripture says that the greatest of all of these things that will remain is love. But the Bible speaks about love in a deeper way than feelings and emotions, although those things come with love. It speaks about it in a way that uh, in, in the context of the Godhead, it doesn't speak about it as something that simply God does, but it speaks about that love is who God is. It's a part of His very nature, that the very nature of God, when you break down the attributes and the nature of God, one of the key pillars of who He is, God is love. God is love. It shows it even in a way that scholars say that every action, every creation, Every movement from God was coming from a place, moving through a place and because of love, because God can't help Himself, but love the world around us. And what I find is that, what we found is that love is not something that is simply a feeling, not an emotion. It's not this orb that's kind of like an atmosphere that we can't really articulate. It's just kind of this essence that's kind of floating around when two people love each other or when we experience certain uh, realities or relational things in different type of people's worlds. But what it speaks about is that love is fulfilled when it's given. 
In other words, it's not simply an essence. It's not simply an emotion. It's not simply a feeling. But the fulfilment of love is actually giving an action. It's actually movement. That love in motion is when we see love fulfilled. And the title of my message tonight is this, Love Moves. Love Moves. There's a bunch of different versions in the Bible that speak about what love is. You've got to understand, it's not just one version of love. I think within our uh, modern context, sometimes we throw the, the word love on different scenarios, different things going around. We'll say that we love our wife and that we love a cheeseburger. And for some of us, that is the same thing. Um, for some of us, we say we love, uh, you know, the, the, the latest show and, and we also love our brother, that we, that we associate this language with the same kind of different, different, different situations, different relationships that we have. But Scripture actually speaks about not just one type of love, but in the different variations of, of the different contexts of the passages that you might read. There's a bunch of different versions of love, but I just wanted to zone in tonight <coughs> on two versions of love that are found in Scripture. The first one is this, is agape love, which the original meaning means selfless, it's unconditional, it's self-emptying, it's sacrificial, and it's choice-based versus feeling-based. The second type of love is a filial love which speaks about, and the meaning of this is uh, more of a friendship love. It's emotional, it's affectionate. There's a brotherly love type there. Both are well and good. Both are powerful and amazing. But when we read in Scripture about the kind of love that God extends to humanity, it's talking about an agape love. We see in John 3, 16, for God loved the world. In this way, He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Who did God love? He loved the world. The original translation, understand what it meant by world here. It speaks about not uh, loving those who receive Him, not loving those who believe in Him, but it actually speaks about loving those who even would totally reject Him. That God loved the world so much, those who would spit on His face, reject His name, blaspheme Him, speak heretical things that would murder people, that would do the, what we would categorise as the deepest, darkest sin, that we would even not even wanna say with our own lips because we feel so morbid, even having that idea around us. God says He loves them. He loves the world that much. But how did He love them? He gave. Why? Because love isn't just a feeling expressed to someone, it's only fulfilled when it's given. So that, why did He do it? So that everyone, turn to the person next to you, say, you're everyone. So that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God loved those who rejected Him, who spat on Him, who wanted to murder Him. That's who God loved. That's who God sent His Son for. This is agape love. This is unconditional, self-emptying, totally sacrificial. But not only that, but sent towards those simply so they might know Him. It's radical. It's unmerited. We don't deserve it. But can I go deeper tonight? Two people, I'll go for you. Everyone else, just sit tight. <laughs> 1 John 4.10 says this, love consists in this. This is what love is. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us. 
and sent His Son to be atoning sacrifices for our sins. This is where love consists, not in our love for Him, but His love for us. In other words, it wasn't dependent on you. It wasn't dependent on you not swearing this week. It wasn't dependent on you having a great marriage week. It wasn't dependent on you having a great uh, uh, relational engagement or, or doing different things like that or feeling like you're holy. It was totally dependent on His love expressed towards you. This is where love consists. It gets even deeper. In 1 Peter and Revelation 12, these two, sorry, Revelation 13, these two passages that are connected, it speaks about that the Lamb was slain before the creation of the world. The Lamb was slain before the creation of the world. This takes things a whole lot deeper because this means that Jesus' blood doesn't just take care of things after you've made the mistake, but it actually took care of it before you made the mistake. That there is nothing, Satan, sin, sickness that could come your way that God hasn't already made a way for, that are redemptions in His blood. This means you don't have to try and figure out how God's gonna bring an answer. You can rest assured knowing that the blood is the answer. But this is what's wild, is often we build our lives of a methodology, a theology, the ideology around that we're on a fallen planet, that our foundation is broken, our foundation is fallen. So man, I just guess I'm gonna live broken the whole way to heaven. I'm gonna stumble my way there. I'm never gonna attain the things that God has for me because man, my, my foundation is fallen. It's because of what Adam did in the garden. It's because I'm broken. But these Scriptures say the Lamb was slain when? Before the creation of the world which means the foundation isn't fallen. The foundation is freedom. It means the foundation isn't broken. This is radical. Because this means that the cross wasn't a payment where God was paying for something He didn't own. He wasn't going up to the Macca's counter. I don't own the cheeseburger yet. I'm gonna pay the money and then I'm gonna get the cheeseburger. The cross was an insurance claim. It was an insurance policy that He decided to claim on because He paid for it long before. And He rocked up at the cross and said, you know what, I've paid for this already. I'm not coming to pay for something I don't own. I'm coming to buy back what I've always owned. I always will own and you'll always be mine. This is radical because it means our foundation is freedom. We get to build our life off the freedom that Christ had available for us. This is radical. Because what it shows us is that often when we get bought at a price by Christ, we see it as, well, I'm, I'm, I'm broken and Christ bought me and now I'm still broken, but I'm gonna do my best. And we try and live life that way, you know, loving Jesus, trying to, trying to conjure up love for God, try and work our way to Him, trying to, try to express love to Him, try and come to church and lift our hands and, and, and do all the things that, that in some way tries to build up in us. Man, I can do these things and it's gonna create God loving more, or at least me receiving more of His love. But the radical thing is, is um, the radical thing is if we understand that it's a insurance claim or in that analogy sense, if we understand it that capacity, what it shows us is this. It shows us is that just like if you had a car accident, I know when I was 18, I was, 
at school this week and we were heading down to Byron Bay for the night because I thought that'd be a good idea to go sleep on the beach and um, all those good things that schoolies do. And on the way down to Byron Bay, we just had a three-car pile up. Cars were totally destroyed. It was not a good situation. Ended up getting, uh, they jumped in with the ambulance and the tow truck driver and they took us into Byron. And Long story short, essentially the reality is those cars had insurance on them. And often we, we engage God as if like, uh, God's now bought the broken car and now I have to try and drive the broken car. But no, rest assured, no, God's paid for it, so it's all good. But insurance policy works like that I've already prepaid for something. So even if it gets totally totaled, beaten up, destroyed, when I claim my insurance, I get a brand new car back that totally covers it brand new, as if it had never been destroyed. This is what it means. Because Christ loved His kids. He loved you so much that He didn't wanna create you without an insurance to know no matter what sin you walk through, brokenness you walk through, what your family background looks like, what addictions you're walking through, what mindsets you're wrestling with. He wanted to guarantee there would always be a way for you to come back to the Father, experience His love, have your heart transformed. He never wanted you to send you out and go, man, I hope they make it. Fingers crossed they're gonna get here. He wanted to set a guarantee before the creation of the world that you'd be able to encounter His love, encounter His love. It says this in Romans, uh, Romans 8, 5, but God proves His own love for us. In other words, He's proving His love that's always been there. That while we were still sinners, while we were broken, while we were addicted, while we're looking at things we weren't meant to, while we're struggling with lust issues, while we're going from relationship to relationship because we're just so broken that we can't stand to be alone, while we're different mindsets and poverty mindsets and wrestling with all these different insecurities in our life, that He proved His love while we were still sinners, while we're separate from Him. For Christ died for us. Can I go a little deeper? A few more that time, that was good. Warming up the crowd. It's good to see. See, in our broken world, we have been educated on what, what, what real love looks like. Many of us have experienced, we've lived in it, maybe we've even uh, walked in it, we've given it to others, a warped perspective on love. It's enabled us to lower our self-esteem, what we think we're worth, what we think we deserve. We attach ourselves and align ourselves to lies of the enemy from a sinner's mindset, from a broken mindset. And it causes us to settle on what God has for us. Even as I preach tonight, I sense in the room that even me speaking about a love that could be so radical, there's something in you that wants to reject it or resist it. Because a love that is unconditional, that you don't have to do a thing to, to have it come your way, is just the opposite of what you've ever experienced. It's because we've only ever experienced a contractual, conditional, counterfeit love. Maybe from workmates, maybe from different employees, maybe from uh, boyfriends or girlfriends we've had in the past, maybe from different relationships we've had, friendships, brothers, sisters, mums, dads, uncles, aunties. We've walked through different relationships and heard out of their lips that they love us. But we experience it to be contractual, that 
depending on the contract, it would break down or it was a counterfeit love that, that was expressed a certain way to us. But when certain things changed, suddenly the love ceased and it ended. So even the idea that love could be unconditional, that there's nothing you can do is an assault to our human conscience because we can't wrap our heads around it. Something in us wants to reject it because there's something in us that wants to go, yeah, yeah, I get it. But also, what do I have to do? It's, it's radical for me. But in 1 John 4.18, it says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. You gotta understand that there is counterfeit love that you, like I said, you might experience in different relational environments, which has given you a war perspective on God. A counterfeit love, although it may express love towards you, it may say it loves you, it may try and uh, model love to you in different ways. Ultimately, uh, the relationship is built upon a benefit of self that I'm in relationship with you, friendship with you, different things like that because of what it actually adds to my life. And as soon as that thing changes, I'm just gonna cut you off or change the dynamic. Things like this is that you'll experience counterfeit love when it limits others to never rise above them. It always needs to be the biggest person. It's driven by set expectations associated with the vision of the person. So in other words, I need you to help me. There's no way I'm gonna help you. Counterfeit love always parades power, parades how good they are. A counterfeit love always teaches you to follow a controlling mindset. It's self-focused. It places emphasis on loving those who do what they're told. It celebrates the ones willing to agree with them. It attempts to position people according to a social hierarchy or social structure alongside the needs of self. It honours how much you do for them. In other words, they'll give you honour because of what you're doing for them. It looks down upon perceived ambition, having this tall poppy syndrome idea. The goal is always to see people serve them. They set up their life with systems, mindsets, patterns within relational dynamics that reinforce the centralised authority to them to make sure that they get all the power. It creates environments and atmospheres that protects key relational stakeholders that allows them to have seats at the table within a perceived social hierarchy. In other words, a exclusive culture. In other words, it's not inclusive. But on the other side of counterfeit love, there is covenant love. There is a biblical covenant love that God wants to be able to connect with you, which isn't conditional. It's totally unconditional and it's focused on benefiting others. It's saying, no matter what you do for me, I'm here to benefit you and see you live your best life. And I know a church that's alive, that's vibrant, that's living the call of God in their life is one that looks at each other and says, you know what? This relationship isn't based on a contract. This relationship is based on a covenant. The fact that I'm gonna lay down my life for you and see you live your best life. A covenant love looks like this. It empowers others to be more successful. It's driven by set convictions associated with His mission. In other words, empowering them to live according to His mission. It gives power away, it celebrates it. It teaches not just you to follow them, but you to lead. In other words, it builds thinkers. It allows you to actually have a free mind. It's people focused. Its emphasis is placed on loving everyone unconditionally. It celebrates the ones willing to live their call. It creates relationship for people to flourish and step into their call. It honours obedience. It encourages a culture of advancement, 
The goal is to see people sent by Him, actually sent out and living their call. It creates relational dynamics, systems, mindsets, patterns around their world that are built around how do I empower people to give them authority so they can take ownership over their own life and become the best version of themselves. It creates environments that have an ever-growing amount of seats to the table, loving people with heart that declares there's always room for more. All are welcome, all are valued and all deserve love and inclusive culture. This is covenant love. But for some of us, it rattles our mind. It, it, it violently assaults our mind. Because for some of us, maybe we've only ever experienced a counterfeit love. We've experienced broken love, love that's let us down. And there's a pulse of false, perverted love and images of love that's floating around humanity, trying to say this is what love looks like. But in actual fact, it's just perverted. It's things like, it's things, well, this is what really what godly love isn't, is that love isn't controlling. Love isn't manipulating. Love isn't cursing. Love isn't abusive. It's not erratic. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't resent or harbour bitterness. It's not self-righteous. It doesn't gossip. It doesn't abandon. It doesn't betray. It doesn't torment. It doesn't force you to do anything. It doesn't backstab. How radical is that? Is that God doesn't force you to do anything. That just wrestles with everything in you that wants to control. Everything. Because you feel like, oh man, I'm controlling that person because I love them. It is radical to think God doesn't control you. He's not gonna force anything upon you. Love doesn't backstab, it doesn't cheat, it doesn't turn away, it doesn't retreat, it doesn't hesitate, it doesn't condemn, it doesn't rule out, it doesn't care for itself more than others, it doesn't doesn't want what it doesn't have, it doesn't force itself upon other people and doesn't use people to advance its own agenda. Let me back this up with Scripture so you know it's biblical. 1 Corinthians 4, Sorry, 13, verse four to seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. That messes with my head, the idea that God's love doesn't have a list of my wrongs. There's no list at all. In other words, when He looks at me, it's as if I've never sinned. That just just came over right there. Because we grew up with a Santa Claus theology. Just do the right thing, you get a present, do the wrong thing, you get cold. Has anyone ever listened to the lyrics of the Santa Claus song? It is, that man needs to go to prison. You ever listen to it? The lyrics are like, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Tell you what, if that was, if that was someone's description of how they were like over my life, I'd probably like call the police. But we have this idea about how we approach God. That, oh man, he, he, He's keeping account of what I did yesterday. But it says love doesn't keep record of wrongs. That, that's wild. 
Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. It doesn't celebrate it. it doesn't celebrate unrighteousness in its friends. Oh man, I'm gonna celebrate that sin you did on the weekend. But it's gonna call people to truth. It says, but rejoices in truth. Verse seven, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If I could have the team come, that'd be amazing. What I love is in the passage right before this, it speaks about a love that's not just this what love isn't and what love is, but it speaks about what love looks like in a community. It speaks about if I speak in 1 Corinthians 13, the verses before it, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's really annoying. If you're that person, stop clanging the cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all the faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions, if I give over my body in order to boast, if I become a martyr, but I don't do it with love, I gain nothing. As this quote that says, if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake and burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. I love this quote, religion's controlling warped view of love never transforms people nor raises the moral level of society. Rather, the evidence depicts that it descends to the common denominator of society's own level of acceptance and then proceeds to congratulate itself that has been accepted by the world. But what if there was another way? Perhaps being accepted by the world isn't the goal of the church, but radically loving the world is. This model may seasonally lead to occasional loss of friend, but generationally leads us to change the world. The question for us stands, would we be willing to lay down our need for acceptance in order to pick up and walk in life transforming love? If we could all stand, that'd be amazing. Maybe some people here and you've experienced, experienced abuse and you wanna know what real love is. You've been cheated on, you've been messed up, you've been thrown to the wayside, you've been cursed, you've been accused of things, that you're not good enough, you'll never be free. You've been betrayed, you've been heartbroken, you've been addicted, you've habitually sinned and you can't seem to get yourself out. You're entangled with guilt and with shame and you wanna know what real love is. Some of us, you've got an orphan mindset. You love Jesus, but you feel distant from Him. You feel like every time you sin, you have to repent, run back to Him every single time, not just receive the love that He has for you. You don't feel totally accepted by Him if you're true in your heart. If you're honest, you don't know who you are. You don't even know the reason you're alive. But you wanna know what real love looks like. Frank, I encourage you with this Scripture in Romans 8, 37 to 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other thing that created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, that abuse that you've experienced, that heartache, that pain, that sin that keeps going on like a hamster wheel, you can't seem to break yourself out of. There's nothing that will separate you from His love. Your separation with God is a lie from the enemy. He's trying to convince you you're separate. Because of the cross, because of His blood, He's made a way. What I wanna do just for a moment, we're just gonna worship just for a couple of minutes, but all across this place, you may have stuff in your heart where you're like, man, that's me. I'm in that spot. And man, I just wanna know what real love looks like. Maybe you've been here and you love Jesus, you, 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 but you know that just stuff wrestling and you're like, man, I, I feel like I don't, wanna, I don't wanna just have that mindset anymore. I don't wanna wrestle with those things in my heart anymore. We're just gonna have a moment of worship. And I'm believing, I'm actually just sore in the Spirit as I'm preparing for tonight. I saw almost like balloons above every single person's head. And inside that balloon is like a liquid. And that liquid represents God's love. And as you turn your affection towards Him, I just say, God, I don't wanna wrestle with this uh, abuse from my past anymore, this heartache, this orphan mindset, this, this sinner mindset, all this, I don't wanna wrestle with it anymore. As you give that to God, I feel like He's just gonna come and pop that bubble. And I just see like the love of God is gonna come and watch your situation, transform you from the inside out. So all across this place, Queens, lift our hands. Lift our hands real high. We're just gonna worship just for a moment. Come on, I just love this moment. Hey, if that's you and you're here and you're like, man, I got, I got some stuff in my heart. I, I haven't been receiving God's love for me. Uh, I'm wrestling with some sin, some guilt, some shame. I've got an orphan mindset where I know I'm a son. I know I'm a daughter, but I don't feel that way. I feel like I don't, I'm not close to God. Or maybe here and you're wrestling with abuse from your past. And you're like, man, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna wrestle with that any longer. I wanna step into the freedom God has for me. I just love, would love to pray with you. You don't have to like say it out loud or make it weird or anything like that because there might be some different things involved. But if that's you and you're like, man, I'd, I just love some prayer for that. Can you shoot up your hand really high? If that's you and you just, you just wanna receive God's love this moment, shoot up your hand really high. Shoot up your hand, yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, there's a hand lifted around you. Can you, yeah, if there's a hand lifted around you, can you just lay your hands on them and begin to believe? Just lay your hands on them. If you're around them and begin to believe. And just in this moment, just in this moment, you need to receive God's love right now. Here it is. Father, we thank You right now. God, we thank You for Your love. God, You love us so much. God, You love us so much. Come on, begin to pray, church. If your hands are laid on someone, just begin to pray for them. Father, we thank You for Your love. God, that abuse would lift off them, that pain, that trauma, that heartache, where they've only ever experienced counterfeit love their entire life. They've only ever experienced love that's associated with a contract. They've only ever experienced love that's associated with different situations. God, would You show us in this moment what unconditional, radical, life-transforming love looks like. God, would You pour it out, pour it out, pour it out, pour it out. There's someone here, you want it, but there's something in your heart that keeps telling you, man, I'm not good enough. God is declaring you overnight, you are good enough, you are enough. If you were the only person, He still would have done it. His love is funneling towards you tonight. All you have to do is receive. Just receive His Son. Just receive His Son. Thank you, Jesus. 
all across this place, we could just close our eyes. Hey, maybe here for the very first time, maybe in coming a little while, maybe call City Point home or you're still like tripping out what this whole deal's about, but you're like, man, if, if that's the God you're preaching about, one that doesn't care what mistakes I've made, doesn't worry about if I have all my ducks in a row, doesn't worry if I've got everything perfect, but is the kind of love that loves me anyway. That man, I want a relationship with Him. I wanna know who He is. I wanna know what that looks like. If that's you, whether for the very first time you've never made this decision before to follow Jesus, or maybe you're here and you're like, man, I made this decision before, but I feel distant from Him. I've made some mistakes, I've stuffed up, and I feel like I need to get my life back with God. I need to make a recommitment to say, I'm drawing the line in the sand. I'm stepping in back with right relationship with Jesus. Or maybe the third person, you're not totally sure you're saved, but you wanna walk out those doors. Because friend, I know this, I don't know what tomorrow might bring, but I know when you're in a relationship with Jesus and you know Him, your eternity is rest assured and it's secure in Him. So if that's you for the very first time, a recommitment or you're not totally sure you're saved, you wanna be sure and you wanna say yes to Jesus tonight. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all your ducks in your row. You just have to say yes and allow God to do the rest. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to shoot up your hand really high. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, one, two, three, shoot up your hands really high all across this place. Incredible decision, incredible decision, amazing. Shoot it up really high, shoot it up really high. Amazing decision to the back. Come on, is there anyone else that look just from left to right? Just from left to right, I don't wanna miss this moment. I don't wanna miss this moment. Just one last time as I look. One last time. Thank You, Jesus. Father, we thank You for every decision here. God, we thank You they weren't light decisions. God, they were eternal ones. And Father, even right now, God, would would they sense Your great love being poured out for them in this moment. God, that they would receive Your love, Father. Their heart would be open. And as Your Scripture says, God, You come and knock on the door of our hearts. God, will we no longer just give them a glimpse where we just give You a crack. But Father, would the door of our hearts fly off the hinges. And God, would Your love come into our heart and make a home, God, in our heart, going through every fibre of our being. And we thank You for that, Jesus. Come on, can we celebrate every decision here? Incredible, 